Well, I want to talk to you today about love. We all need love. Turn to someone next and say, we all need love. If you got a Bible, go to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And you know, I was thinking about just um, this whole message and, 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 and how Jesus lived this life of love because he knew this is what the world needs. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Jesus looked upon the planet. In fact, the most popular scripture in the Bible is John 3:16. for God so loved the world. He loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus. Jesus came as a love letter from God to you and I. This entire book is one big, long love letter to us. And if we don't understand love, or if we get love backwards, if we you know, try to take the, the world's definition of love, we're gonna miss out on what God really wants us to live like. And not just how he wants us to live, but the way that God's created us to feel on the inside. If we don't feel his love, if we don't experience his love, then we're gonna constantly be giving away some tainted version of love that's not from him. So Paul breaks it down for us and he's speaking to this church. He's talking to the church at Corinth and they are flexing their spiritual muscles. This church, perfect attendance, perfect tithing. They are generous. They are, they are gifted in the spirit. They can speak in tongues. They can prophesy. They have been like eagerly desiring all the gifts of the spirit. They are smart too. They got knowledge. They've memorized scripture. And Paul has a letter for them and it's in first Corinthians 13 and he starts it off and he's, he's going to be pretty blunt, but I, I I'm all about like not sugarcoating the Bible. I just want to get straight to don't beat around the bush. Just tell me what I need to know. So Paul says this, if I speak in the tongues of men, this is first Corinthians 13 verse one, if I can speak in tongues and I can connect with heaven down to earth, if I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Okay, that is really annoying. <laughs> I should have brought earplugs this weekend. This is hurting my ears. But Paul's saying, if I speak in tongues, but then I'm a jerk in the parking lot. If I speak in tongues at church, if I have Hillsong worship in my minivan, and then I scream at my kids, how does my worship sound in God's ears? How does my worship sound? If I can speak in tongues, if now he goes to the next verse, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy, let's say I know what God's about to do in the future. I can sense it. You know, I love listening to someone who has like the prophetic gift. I love hearing, you know, what they're sensing in their spirit for the future. And it's like a weather forecaster. They can just kind of sense this is what's about to come. And Paul says, let's say one of you in the church is really gifted at prophecy and you know it too. And let's say you're really good at like fathoming all the mysteries. You're a teacher. You could do like heavy revelation teaching. How many of you guys like to listen to those teachers that just drop the heavy revelation? It ain't me. Like I'm really simple. I'm like a fourth grader. <laughs> My dad used to tell me when you preach the gospel, make it simple, make it easy. Don't so many people just complicate the gospel. So, you know, I grew up understanding just to keep it simple. Right. But, but, but Paul says, let's say one of you is just gifted at going heavy, deep. You just drop heavy revies everywhere you go. You just got the deep revelation of scripture. You could prophesy. You could fathom the mysteries. You understand revelation, Ezekiel, Daniel, you understand the scripture, but you're a punk 
and you're mean to the waitress and you scream at your wife and you're harsh with your son and you hate your dad. God says your prophecy sounds like clinging symbols. Your tongues sound like clashing symbols. Your spiritual flex muscles and knowledge and intellect is. It has no rhythm and it's loud and it's noisy and it's annoying. And you go, wow, way to hit me with the harsh stuff right off the bat. Where's the sandwich method? Can we start off sweet and then we get into it? I just felt like we just needed to go head in on love. Paul says this, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I don't love my neighbor, if I don't love the people closest to me, then I, I, let's say I give all I possess to the poor. Sometimes it's easier to love strangers than it is to love your own household. It's getting quiet in this charismatic church. Y'all were loud during rattle, <laughs> during the worship set. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor, if I am generous and I give everything I have and I give my body to hardship, and now he's talking about martyrdom, persecution. In the Roman Empire, this was a big deal. Paul had watched friends get their limbs torn from their body. Lions eaten, burned at the stake. Like Paul had seen friends get killed for, for preaching the gospel in America. If we get made fun of on Twitter, we feel like we're a martyr, like we're being persecuted. If somebody's mean to us, if somebody takes our seat at church, if somebody pulls into our parking space, we're like, Lord, I, I choose to forgive. I choose to trust in you. My Wi-Fi is not working, right? First world problems, all of these issues. But Paul says, let's say, let's say you actually are persecuted for the faith. But let's say your heart's in the wrong place. Let's say it's all about the image for you. If you don't have a motivation of love, you gain nothing. You gain nothing. Just clinging symbols. I remember um, before I was the pastor, I, I would serve out in the lobby as a, a greeter while my mom was the pastor. And it was so funny watching, watching people walking from the parking lot into the church, because I got to, got to watch it after every service. I'd see people just yelling at each other. Then they walk into church, smile. How you doing? We're doing great. So good. Where's the children's church hallway? You know, just talking under the breath, just come into church, worshiping, leave church, you know, angry. And, and I, I don't know about you, but there's times where I've gotten upset at church. I've gotten angry. I've gotten upset. In fact, this last week, I was driving our kids to school and uh, I was telling them they got to get into the car. Now, look, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 tells us the first definition of love. Love is patient. How many of y'all need to work on your patience? Okay. So I really need to work on my patience. Um, there are just moments where people push my buttons. And patience is one of those areas that God is working on me in. So this last week, I was, I was driving our kids to school. And I said, hey, guys, it's time to get inside of daddy's car. We got to get to school. I knew exactly how much time we had. I've, I've timed the drive from our house to the school. And I said, We've got, we literally have to leave right now. So they're walking out. They're just taking their time. And I'm like, move with a purpose, please. Keep on moving. In Jesus' name, move your feet. In the name of Jesus, get your feet inside the car. Don't act like I'm the only one who has issues with slow people. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Slow drivers in Oklahoma, I'm like, get out of the left lane! 
in Jesus' name. I got my victory bumper sticker. I better pull it off right now. Uh, but anyways, our kids, they're coming into the car. It was Benny's hundredth day of school, and he's built this, you know, bucket full of suckers. He's put it inside a styrofoam. And, and so he's walking towards the car with this bucket. And I'm like, get in the car. Come on, let's go. We can, we can do it. We got this, you know. And Benny's like, hold on. I got I to get my suckers in here. And as he's getting in, the bucket drops and a hundred suckers. We're already running late. I was like, don't worry about it. Daddy's going to get the suckers. Just get in your car seat right now. And he's like, but I need those suckers. I was like, I'm going to get the suckers. You know, so I start picking up the suckers and I'm trying to keep my cool because I was supposed to preach that morning at Victor Christian School Chapel on love. And I'm like, just get in your car seat. I got the bucket of suckers. So I'm, you know, putting the bucket of suckers in. He's like, you didn't put them in right. They need, this one needs to be in this area. And I'm like, it's in whatever hole it needs to be in. Just take the suckers. So then we get driving and I'm in the driveway and Benny goes, daddy, daddy, I don't even have my seatbelt on. And I was like, okay, put on your seatbelt, put on your seatbelt, you know, puts it on, We're driving down the road. And I'm like, guys, we've got to be faster. He's like, give me a break. I'm five years old. You know, and he didn't say that, but that's literally what I was imagining him saying. And I'm like, okay, so we get to the school and now all of a sudden I'm feeling convicted. I had about 15 minutes in the car ride, sitting in traffic for the Lord to convict me. And the Lord was speaking to my heart, not loud, not audible, just right here. You are a hypocrite. <laughs> you are about to preach about love and you are not being nice to your kids. And God was right. And I was like, Lord, I just, I really need them to get faster. <laughs> and, and Benny asked me, he said, what's going to happen if we're late? I said, we're not, it's not going to look good. Daddy's not going to look good. You're going to probably have to meet with the principal. And he's like, so I don't, I don't mind that. I don't mind meeting with the principal. I was like, I mind, I mind. <laughs> and so, uh, so we finally get there and I said, guys, I am so sorry. And I turn around and I look at them and they're just staring at me. And I was like, I'm sorry. I lost my patience with you. Daddy was wrong. And Benny goes, yeah, you were. <laughs> He's like, you are not nice. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And Liam goes, Benny's right. You were wrong, Daddy. I was like, I'm a work in progress. How about you guys? Are you guys working on yourselves too? Am I the only one a work in progress? Are you working on it? And they were like, yeah, but it's not about us right now. It's about you, Daddy. Don't try to shift the blame here. You need to own your shame for a second. <laughs> they didn't say all that, but they said, they said stuff that was pretty close to that. I'm not lying. It was true. And I was like, okay, you're right. Daddy was wrong. I'm sorry. And they said, we forgive you, Daddy. And so we went inside, and I got a picture with them. One of them was dressed up as a dinosaur. One of them was dressed up as, as Woody, the cowboy. And, um, and they said, Daddy, wh where is that picture? There he is right there. There's my little dino, Benny, and my cowboy, Liam. If you got that cowboy picture, throw Liam up. There he is right there. That was after we reconciled as father and sons. I walked into the chapel and I was preaching about love. But Paul says, love is patient. Love is patient. I remember being in the restaurant uh, with our kids. We went to a pizza place in town and um, we were sitting down and it was loud. There was TVs on and, and people were talking and people were shouting. It was football games on and, and our kids were being normal. They weren't being like super loud, being normal. 
this lady comes running across the restaurant and she gets right up in our table and she looks at Liam and Benny. She doesn't even look at me and Ashley. She just gets right up and Liam was like four years old at the time. And she goes, you need to shut your mouth. Oh, mama bear was not happy. And neither was papa bear. I was like, get out of my kids' faces right now. <laughs> we were not happy, but, but we needed to walk in love because there was people there that were like, hey, Pastor Paul and Ashley, we go to victory. And I was like, hey. On the inside, the symbols were crashing. And eventually what's on the inside is gonna start overflowing on the outside. Some of you guys, I can feel it right now. Even as I'm preaching on love, the symbol is starting to resound on the inside. You're like, I'm gonna give this guy a piece of my mind. So in that moment, my wife had some nice words to say to this lady. And, and then she said, you know what? We're gonna bless this lady. She was like, first of all, you don't do that. Second of all, we love you and we're gonna pay for your lunch. So she bought the woman's lunch. Go, go babe, you did well on that moment. She passed the test. But she did let the lady know, you don't do that. <laughs> but I think about so often, we, we lose our cool with people. We lose our patience level with people. And Paul says, love is not only patient, it's kind. What good is it to have an awesome church service, but then walk out of church, and you're sitting at Applebee's, or Outback, or Popeye's Chicken, or wherever you're gonna go and eat. And you go in, and they are taking their sweet time to prepare your meal. And you're sitting there for 30, 40 minutes. And you start to feel the symbols. You start to sense that, that need <laughs> to tell them, you guys are taking way too long. You guys get the point. What God says is your worship sounds like clanging symbols. You're missing the point. If this whole thing is just about looking good at church, you're missing the point. Christianity is about the love of God. Jesus told his disciples, they will know that you are my followers by the way that you love one another, not the way you preach to each other, not the way you sing at church, not how many scriptures you've memorized, not how many gifts of the spirit that you've got, not, not how many tongues you can talk in, but by the way you love people that are right in front of you. And love is kind. And how, how can I love people if I don't feel loved? This is the takeaway of the message. You cannot give something that you do not have. Until you receive the love of God and actually believe it's true and feel it, you'll never really be loving the people that are around you with the right kind of love. In fact, Jesus says this, and he says it in, um, or John says this, John, in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 13, he says, this is how we know that we're living steadily and deeply in him and he in us. He's given us life from his life, from his very own spirit. We've seen for ourselves and we continue to state openly that the father sent his son as savior of the world, right? God so loved the world, he sent his son and everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. You can't have intimacy if you don't believe someone loves you. It's, it's, it's not there. Intimacy comes from trusting someone's love. The more that we feel love, the more intimate we can become with someone. We know it so well, we've embraced it heart and soul, John says, this love that comes from God. The guy who wrote these words, he was one of the closest disciples to Jesus, and he actually called himself the beloved disciple, John the beloved. He was convinced that Jesus loved him. 
He was so convinced that Jesus loved him, nothing was gonna talk him out of that. From that belief, he overflowed a life full of love. He was the longest living disciple. He lived longer than all the other disciples. They tried to kill him multiple times. They even put him in tar. They tried to burn him and he did not burn. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. They could not stop him. He wrote the book of Revelation. He was full of God's love, overflowing with it. And he says this, God is love. This is where love is. In a world that is confused about who they are, who they love, what love looks like. We have people who are born a boy. They want to be a girl. They want to switch back to being a boy. We have people who don't know where they stand on anything. And we're trying to find love from MTV, from BET, from ABC, from CNN, from all these channels, from Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And I'm telling you, love is only found in the one who created it. And he is the one who defines what love really is. And if you want to have clarity about who you are as a human, don't go to social media to try to figure out what they think you are. Go to the one who created you, who knows you, who knit you in your mother's womb. He's the one who puts you together. And he says, you are not a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. God loves you. And he calls you valuable. And, and John says, God is love. And when we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house. If I'm gonna have love being the run of the house, if love is gonna lead my reactions to my wife and to my kids, then I need to submit myself to a higher power than me. I need to stop letting my emotions have the run of the house. I need to stop letting the world have the run of the house. I need to let God's love have the run of the house. And when I do, it becomes at home and mature in me, and I'm free of worry on judgment day. People who are afraid of whether or not they're gonna to go to hell, they don't have a real revelation of God's love. I used to live like this, literally. I would be outside mowing the lawn and if I heard thunder in the sky, I thought the rapture was happening and I wasn't gonna go. That I would be left behind with Nicolas Cage and Kirk Cameron. And that we would, we, would, we would be making movies, left behind one, two, three, four, five. Like I was gonna be part of the left behind crew. I just was convinced I'm not, gonna, I'm not a good enough Christian. I was trying to get saved every single church service. I'd go down to the altar and be like, Dad, save me again. I need you to save me. He'd be like, you got saved last week. I was like, I just gotta get saved again. I just don't feel saved enough. I feel like I messed up, thought some thoughts I shouldn't have thought, said some things I shouldn't have said. I don't think God loves me. I think I'm going to hell. Please save me. He's like, you are saved, but you're in a process. And you're gonna be in this process for the rest of your life, learning the love of God and learning to obey God. But you don't need to live constantly afraid of whether God is going to let you into heaven every single week going down to the altar to get saved. Paul, you need to become convinced that once you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are saved. And this is what John said here. We are free of worry on judgment day because we know our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room for in love for fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Fear is crippling. Fear is anxiety. Fear is stressful. The fear of death, the fear of judgment. And by the way, when you're afraid, the symbols are rattling on the inside. Afraid of what people think about you. Afraid 
afraid of failure, afraid that God's not happy with you. And so we live with a constant noise, anxiety, stress, and we overflow. We react when people let us down. We have a short fuse. We're angry. But once perfect love comes in, it drives out fear. Perfect love, love. This is what John says. So we, once we know this love, we are going to love people. We are going to love and be loved. First, we were loved by God, and now we love. He loved us first. Now, when John's talking about all this love, y'all are like, this is a whole lot of love. What kind of love is he talking about? There's four kinds of loves, and our world has three of those. Eros is the romantic kind of love, the lustful love. It's the love where you're just, you are into someone. You just think, she is so hot. He is so handsome. I just really, really. That's, that's a version, but that's not the real version. And then there's phileo love. That's the brotherly love. You get along with people. You just like them. But the real love is agape love. It is out of this world. It is not defined by anyone here on this planet. It is from heaven. It is God's unconditional love. It's the kind of love that loves you on your worst day and your best day. It's the love that picks you up even when you are faithless and you have failed God. He still loves you. It's agape love. It's radical, forgiving love. It's the kind of love that keeps no record of wrongs. It's the kind of love that loves you through your mess. And John said, this kind of love is the love that God has called us to love with. And then he says this at the very end, verse 20. He says, if anyone boasts and says, I love God, I go to church. I read my Bible, I tithe, I love the Lord, I love you, Lord. And then he says, but if they go out and they hate their brother or their sister, thinking nothing of it, prejudice, mean, hating their boss. Well, Paul, I haven't said it to his face, but how many times have you rehearsed it in your mind? You talk about it, oh, if I could just give them a piece of my mind. And how many of you, it's people in your own home that you have to really just allow the love of God to help you to walk in love, right? No one wants to admit it. But the truth is, if we all took off our masks, not our COVID masks, but our mask masks, and if we were really honest, we'd say, yeah, honestly, people push my buttons. Wives, how many times has your husband just made you frustrated, right? Husbands, how many times has your wife just, she just finally push your button, right? And, and when we get this angry, we get upset, but then we say, Lord, I love you. God says, then you need to love the person right next to you. And you need to love the ex that hurt you. And you need to love the stepmom. And you need to love your in-laws. And you need to love the people at work that annoy you. Don't say, I love you, Lord, if you hate a brother or sister. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he say he loves the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. This is scripture. It's blunt. Loving God includes loving people. Loving God includes loving Al, Pat, Ty, Debbie, Daniel, and Drew, Ashley, Liam, Beniah, President Biden, Vice President Harris, former President Trump, former Vice President Pence. It includes loving the people who voted differently than you. It includes the people who think differently than you. It includes the people who sin differently than you. Oh! <laughs> loving God includes loving people. You gotta love both. But how can you love someone if you don't feel loved? The more loved I feel, the more I am good at loving. I am a better lover. And I mean like loving people. 
y'all are like, what, where did this sermon just go now? I'm a better love, I, I love people better when I feel loved. Imagine if I came to church every Sunday and I just imagined, I was just suspicious. I, 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 let's, let's just say that every time I came in the room, I was like, they don't like me. They don't like me. They don't love me. I wouldn't preach that good. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't live with love towards you. It would be this performance-based thing. And so many people are like that. We hold the rose and we say, he loves me. He loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. Every day, it's a roller coaster guessing whether God loves us, guessing whether people love us. And the more suspicious we are about people's love and the more untrusting we are towards God's love, the worse we are at loving people and the worse we are at loving ourselves. And so we live with anger. And no wonder our world has so much violence and hurt, and so much pain and confusion, so much abuse. I was reading a news story last week that, that multiple children in California have committed suicide in the last year under the age of 12. And the article said, because kids are at home now and they're not in school for over 300 days now, there's more anxiety, there's more loneliness, there's more depression than there's ever been before in America. And parents are becoming more abusive and there's, there's more pain. And I'm telling you, our world is so in need of love. It is the real vaccine. I almost titled this message, The Real Vaccine. My wife said, we've been controversial enough. Let's, let's just keep it peaceful for a little bit in 2021 and not get in the news too much. But I'm, I'm convinced, you know, what, like the vaccine, whatever you believe. But I believe the real, like the best vaccine the world could get, the cure to most of the problems in broken homes, in addicted dads, addicted moms, abusive homes, suicidal kids, the cure is not Xanax. The cure is not, there's a lot of practical things we could do, but I'm telling you, the cure is gonna be when humans truly believe they are loved by God and we start treating each other with that kind of respect and love. And we look at each other in the eyes and we love each other and we forgive each other. Love is patient, love is kind. I remember when I was in school, one of my friends, Michael, he moved here from Baltimore because his girlfriend, she, she came to go to school at Oral Roberts University. So he followed her here. And, and so Michael and I, we would sit in the piano room at Oral Roberts University. We would make music. He was, he was a talented musician. I played piano. And, and this one day I came up to the floor on our campus that we lived in, our dormitory. And I said, hey, man, let's go make some music. And I knocked on the door and he said, get out. I don't want to talk to you. I said, what? Bro, what are you talking about? Come on. He said, man, my girlfriend just broke up with me. Get away, I don't wanna to talk to you. And I said, bro, I'm here for you. And he was so angry. He said, just get out of here. I don't wanna to talk to anybody. And I could feel his pain. And I thought about that, that phrase, many of you have thought about it, hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt other people. When you're hurting, you're just overflowing with hurt towards people. So I went down to Chick-fil-A. I got him some chicken and some French fries, some Chick-fil-A sauce, brought it up to the room. I was like, bro, I got you some Chick-fil-A. Let's talk about it. He said, I don't want your Chick-fil-A. I said, nobody, nobody rejects Chick-fil-A. I bought it for you. I'm out here. Please, Elsa, open the door. Frozen, you know? I'm outside just knocking. Let my love open the door. 
And I'm standing out there. And he says, just get away, man, just get away. I don't want to talk to anyone. So I went to the piano room and I sat down at the piano. And I was thinking about Michael. And today, Michael and I are friends and he's good. And, and God reconciled the friendship. We ended up having a really good conversation about love. And he said, man, I just I think so many of us are, are just looking for acceptance. We're looking for love. If you think about why do people do wild things? Why do people lash out? Why do people try to change everything about themselves? We're looking for acceptance. We're looking for someone to just say, I love you. I love you. I see you. I fully know everything about you. And I love you still. We all need love. And, uh, and so I started writing this song based on that conversation. You guys want to hear it this morning? All right, even if you don't, I'm going to play it for you. We all need love. We all need love. We all need love. We all need We got exit signs, unlocked up doors, and authors' books that we can't afford. And the world's so mad, and it's so sad. And all they say is, that's too bad. But I don't understand why we all just can't trust the man who gave his life to set us free. But we're still the minority. And I know you know where I'm going with this. And I just want the whole world to finally admit we all need love. Sing it with me, church. We all need love. To the PKs, MKs, everybody in case you ever been in my place where everyone expects you to be just like your pop, someone you're not. Well, that's bull not because I need what you need. The same thing we all need. Sing it out loud. We all need love. We all need love. They say seven hugs a day is the price that we pay to feel love and security. But I know that it's more than that. It's not just some maturity. Well, it's taps and pats and words of affirmation to a generation that needs to know the real message of what love is and then repent and then admit she Jesus is love, Jesus is love, Jesus is love, Jesus is what the world needs now is love, sweet love, that's the only thing that there's just too little love what the world needs now is love sweet love not just for some but for everyone i got these balloons with me because i was thinking about the idea of a balloon that when you fill it with helium it begins to rise it begins to go higher. And I think it's the same way with love, that the more love we pour into people around us, they begin to rise. They begin to bloom into who God's made them to be. The more I love the people that are closest to me with God's love, 
the more they are going to rise to the best version of who God made them to be. But if I'm harsh, if I'm mean, just like a flower, a flower that's not taken care of will wilt, it will die. It's so important that we check, am I full of God's love? And love does win, by the way. God's love wins. God's love always wins in the end. But we've got to come back to what is what does God's love look like? How does it flow through me? How do I receive it? And I'm telling you, I, I've I've wrestled with this. I remember watching this movie about Rich Mullins called Ragamuffin. And um, he was a songwriter, singer songwriter. And he said all his life he lived as a performer. He wrote songs and he would sing and he would speak all because he he needed the applause of people. And he said, I, I lived thinking that if I had more applause, more approval from people that I would finally feel good about myself. You'll never rise above your self-image. You'll never rise, and I would say you'll never rise above your God image. Who you see yourself in the eyes of God. So many of us are plucking the flower and we're saying, God loves me some days when I've read my Bible, when I've prayed enough, when I've done everything right, when I haven't said anything wrong, but he doesn't love me on other days. And Rich Mullins talks about this in this movie. And it wasn't until he met this, this pastor, this mentor, who just took him in as a father. Because Rich had a broken home. He grew up with an abusive dad. He grew up with a dad that was not only abusive, but walked out, left him and his mom. And so there was this hurt, this pain. And hurt people hurt other people. And we run and we, we live with these constant trust issues, abandonment, suspicious about everyone, never really believing that people love us, never really believing in what the pastor says. And in the finally end of the movie, right before he dies, he's having this heartbreaking revelation about God's love. There was this famous theologian named Carl Barth and people asked him, they said, what's the most profound revelation you've ever gotten from scripture? What is the most like theologically in-depth, powerful, biblical thing you've ever studied? And he said, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And they said, well, that's elementary. We all know that. Everybody talks about that. He said, no, no, no. He really does love me. He loves me so much. He loves me on my worst day. He loves me on my best day. He loves me when I've got it all together. And he loves me when I don't. That is profound. Romans 5, 8, that while we were still ugly in our sin, he demonstrated this love for us. While we were making nothing but annoying noises with our religious deeds, thinking we could earn God's love, he pierced through the night and he gave his life for us on the cross. He died for us. Our righteousness is just filthy rags. It's just loud clanging symbols. But the, the righteousness that comes from God, the love that Jesus demonstrates, yes, Jesus loves me. And when we live with that kind of love, now we know how to understand 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Go out today with kindness wherever you are. Love does not envy. Who are you envious of? Who are you coveting? So often we wish, I wish I had what they had. They don't deserve what they have. I wish we could have kids. I wish I was married. I wish, I wish we had a house. I wish we were debt free. I wish, I wish that. They don't even deserve it. And, and God says, you say you love me, but you're envious of your friends. You're envious of the single parent mom that got blessed with a car. You think you should have gotten that car. 
You see people having testimonies and you think, I wish I had what they had. God says, real love can celebrate other people's wins. Real love doesn't live with jealousy about everybody that starts winning. Love does not boast. It is not proud. Immediately we think, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, all, I've seen a cocky person. I've seen an arrogant person just puffing themselves up, talking about their accomplishments. But pride is also seen in never apologizing when you're wrong. Pride is also seen in the one who never really does admit that they should have done it differently. It's always like we always just kind of have to ah, just get over it. Just get over it. Laugh it off. But God says real love is humble. Real love has no room for pride, has no room for entitlement. Love does not dishonor others. Lord, forgive us when we've spoken bad about people. Love does not disrespect others. Love is not self-seeking. What does that mean? What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? What are, I'm giving it all and you're not going to give anything in return. What? Love has no strings attached. Love is not easily angered. You can feel the symbol starting to stir in your soul. God says, stop, stop, stop. Get a longer fuse with people. Give people time to grow. Don't blow up every time your kid misses it. Every time someone does something wrong, don't get easily irritated with everybody. God is not easily irritated with you. How many are thankful that God's patient with your process? He doesn't abandon us when we're learning. Romans 13 verse 8 says, let no debt remain outstanding in your life except for the debt to love one another. Now, this is an important debt to hold on to. Jesus told a parable about a guy who owed a billion dollars. He was in debt a billion dollars. And his boss, the one he owed it to, forgave him. But that same guy who owed a billion dollars went out and he found the girlfriend that owed him a dollar fifty. And he takes the girl by the throat and he says, you owe me 150 pennies. And I'm throwing you in jail until you pay every last penny. And Jesus says, how did the man forget that God had forgiven him of so much? And he's going to go to his ex and hold that grudge over a dollar fifty. Have you forgotten what you've been forgiven of? Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Who are you holding a record of wrongs over right now? I got all the receipts, Paul. I got all, if we did an audit, I've got the whole thing. We need to audit him today. I'm a good accountant. I've kept all the receipts of the things he said to me, the things she did to me. I have the record. And God says, what about your record? I wiped it clean. Can you not forgive him? Can you not forgive her? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. What do you do when someone falls? What do you do when your, your, your competitor falls? The person that you wish you had their life and all of a sudden they have a, a moral failure or their kids make a mistake and you go, ah, we're better than them. I knew their kid was messed up. I knew that they were going to have a fall. Ah. But Paul says, love does not delight when other people fall. Love does not delight when other people make mistakes. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects people. Who do you need to protect right now? Don't share everything that someone tells you. Can you be a protect? Can you be a safe place to hold on to stuff and say, I'm going to cover this person. I'm going to protect them. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. 
Love never fails. Love endures. My mom has shown me what this looks like so much. She has persevered through so many things. When people stomped on her and my dad like a rug mat, they just kept on loving, kept on persevering. We're here today as a church because of my mom and dad's persevering, enduring love. Love never fails. Where there's prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, Paul, I know so much. I got my doctorate degree. I'm so smart and intelligent. Flexing your spiritual muscles. Paul says, it's going to pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. We don't even know the full thing. One day when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I reacted like a child. I screamed and pouted like a child. I complained like a child. I was jealous like a child. I didn't share my toys like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. I stopped treating people with disrespect. I stopped talking bad about people behind their back. I stopped acting constantly like I was irritated with people, like people were an inconvenience for me. I started treating people with dignity and honor. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but one day we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but I will know fully, even as I am fully known. God fully knows everything about you, every secret sin, and he still loves you. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest is love. So imagine you were there the day that Jesus was preaching outside and these Pharisees caught a woman in the act of adultery and they throw her at the feet of Jesus and they say, what shall we do to the woman? By the way, where's the man? What shall we do to the woman that was caught in this sin? And they got their stones and Jesus gets down in the sand and he starts writing stuff and no one knows what he wrote, but I think he wrote the sins of the Pharisees. I think he knew it. He starts writing it and they go, whoa, 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 stop, stop. I don't want anyone to see that. What? Don't write the whole word out. Stop. You know, because they were, they looked clean on the outside, but on the inside, they had issues and Jesus knew it. And then he said, you without sin, you cast the first stone. And one by one, they dropped their drumsticks. They dropped their rocks. And Jesus gets down in the sand. He always gets down in the sand with the sinner. If you ever wonder if Jesus loves you in your dirtiest, worst day, he's right there with you. The day that I lost my temper with my kids, he was right there with me to pick me up and say, I love you, Paul. His kindness leads us towards repentance. He takes this woman and he says, where are your accusers? She says, there's none. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Would you stand to your feet all over this room? The love of God is what's going to change people's lives. Love grows the church. Love grows you. Love grows relationships. Love builds intimacy, but love starts inside us. Until we feel loved by God, we cannot give love towards others. I remember this one day, and I'm gonna ask us all just to hold steady. I know you got places to go, people to see, things to do but just give five more minutes. One thing I've loved about this season of the pandemic is that there's been such a lingering atmosphere at church. We've come back to value the church more than we value football games and basketball games. And like the Super Bowl's cool, but 
I don't know, man. I just love being with you. I love worshiping and, and I love getting in the word. I remember this one day, I was so discouraged. I was so overwhelmed by rejection and, and, and I was in school. It was my senior year of school and I remembered my dad's office was in the building. It was on the third floor and so I went to the third floor looking for him. When I knocked on the door, a businessman opened the door in a suit and tie and he said, your dad's in meetings right now. We'll talk to you later. So I was like, okay, I'm sorry. So I start walking down the hall. Next thing I know, I feel this tap on my shoulder and it's my dad and he says, Paulie, what, what do you need? I was like, dad, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. He said, Paul, you're never an interruption. And I was like, I feel like I am. He said, no, you're not. I said, I'm not. He said, no, what do you need? I said, I, I don't know, I'm just having a bad day. And he just hugged me, didn't say anything, just hugged me. Man, in that hug, I felt so loved by my dad that everything that I was worried about, everything I was discouraged by, it just disappeared right there. Can I tell you, your dad's office is always open and you are never an interruption to your father in heaven. He is never too busy to talk to his son, his daughter, and you are never too old to be a kid in God's eyes, whether you're 99 years old today or whether you're nine years old today. Remember my brother, John, he was telling me just a few weeks ago, he said, I remember when we were kids and we were in Royal Rangers and they asked us to write down a list of what we thought our dad thought about us. And he said, I wrote down my list and I just had two things to say. What we didn't know is that our, our Royal Ranger teachers also asked our dad to write down what he thought about us. So we were writing a letter of what we thought our dad thought about us. He was writing a letter of what he thought about us. So when they brought John, my dad's letter, my dad's letter had like 25 things about John. And John lifted up his letter and he looked at my dad's. And my dad said, John, why, why did you only write those two things? He said, I didn't know what you thought. And he starts looking at the thoughts. John, I think you're a champion. John, I think you are so smart. John, you are so funny. John, I love being around you. Can I tell you the list that God has about you? It's a long list. He says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not defined by your failures or your mistakes. I know you don't always feel it, but you are so loved by God. You're the apple of his eye. He sees you. He hears you. He knows every prayer you pray, every tear you cry. He knows the things you're, you're jealous about. He knows the things that you wish were different about you. He sees how you feel when someone walks in the room. He knows what you're thinking. He knows how you feel when you come on Sunday. And he says, I love you. I love you. I love you so much. Live from that love. Would you just close your eyes all over this place? If you're here right now and you just need to visit your dad's office, you need a visit with the Father in heaven. You need his love. You need his forgiveness. You need his mercy. You need his patience. You need his kindness flowing through you. You need that 1 Corinthians 13. You need more of that in your life. If that's you, just raise your hand all over this room. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, yes. Maybe you need to forgive some people today. And you're saying, I just need more of his mercy flowing through me. I need to let go of some things. I've been resentful. My heart's gotten cold. I've been dishonoring towards some people. I, there's some things that I need to just say, Lord, heal me in this area. Lord, forgive me for things that I've said or done. Lord, 
bring your love through me. Help me to walk in that love. If you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God, but I need to get right with God today. Raise your hand. Today is your day of salvation. Today is your day of mercy. Today is a new day, new beginning. If you raised your hand or you wanted to raise your hand or you need prayer, leave your seat. Come and join me at this altar. We're all in this together. We all need more of God's love. We're going to cheer on every person that takes a step in the direction of love. They're taking a step in the direction of healing. They're taking a step towards humility. They're taking a step to say, I need you, God. I need to forgive some people. I need to, I need to receive your forgiveness. Today, mercy is here. Mercy can meet you at this altar. There's space at the altar for you. Maybe you feel like you failed. Maybe you feel like you messed up. God says, come, bring it, bring it to the altar. I can forgive you of that. My love is patient. It's patient with you. Even if you told me you would never do it again and you did it again, my love is still patient with you. It's patient with the process. His love is kind. We can never fully perfectly fill out 1 Corinthians 13, but Jesus can. And when we allow his love to perfectly come in and drive out that fear, we start walking in that love a little bit more towards people around us. We start living with that lateral debt of love towards people, the same debt that Jesus paid for us. So Lord, I just pray right now. Yeah, let's just sing that chorus. He loves us. He loves us. Just sing that over your heart today. Sing it over your mind today. Sing it over your family today. He loves us. He loves us. Hold your hands out. Receive his love this morning. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. You rose from the grave. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I repent of sin. I receive your forgiveness. I believe you love me. You love me, Lord. You love me, Jesus. You love me, Jesus. I receive it, and I want to release it to people around me. Help me, God. Help me, Lord, to love people the way you love me. I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you, church. God bless you.